Hey, Rumcasters, and welcome back to what we think will be a very informative and entertaining episode of the podcast. Uh, For those of you who might just be discovering the program now, we are the podcast that talks all things rum-related with the people who love and shape it. My name is John Gullah, and next to me for our deep dive today into Mexican rum is the man who some might say is the Oaxaca to my Michoacan. Mr. Will Hookinga. Will, are you as psyched for today's episode as I am? Are, are you? I, I just have to ask now, are you going to do that on every intro from now on? Because oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm prepared to uh, to, to, to be the, the blank to your blank for like, you know, hundreds of more episodes together. Hmm, that's a good question. I, I could probably blank to the blank for a lot of these. It's it's a good job. I appreciate it. Actually, we've had some comments, people saying, I think someone on YouTube commented specifically recently on the humor in your intros. So <laughs> you're, you're a man of the people, as always. Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. I want to check in on you, though, because I know you mentioned a dental procedure in our last episode, and I know you haven't been feeling so great over yeah. the past few days. So I just want to check in and see see how you're holding up. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's it's beating me up pretty good. Um, I, I've gone from tasting a, a Corona-type flavor at the dentist to no rum at all in the last uh, week or so because my tooth and my jaw is just so sensitive and hurting. I've had to be on pain meds. Right. So, you know, can't be on pain meds and unfortunately uh, uh, drinking rum at the same time. So That's a good uh, yeah. PSA. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Kids, don't do that. <laughs> So anyhow, long story short is uh, I'm able to talk, thankfully, so we can do this. But uh, it's uh, it's it's got some pain there. You know, it's it's a little frustrating and a little tough. Uh, I'm hoping the sensitivity calms down soon. So uh, well, but it was nice to see. I was going to say one thing that should cheer you up is you mentioned in our last episode that during one of these procedures that you had at the mm-hmm. dentist recently, you tasted a note that reminded mm-hmm. you of Coroni rum in mm-hmm. some way. So I, I kind of mocking you, you a little bit. Uh-huh. I laughed at you. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't think I've ever seen dental procedure as a tasting note. And <laughs> you were begging for the, the people, uh, the listeners out there to, to speak up if they had ever had an experience comparable to the one that you had at the mm-hmm. dentist. I laughed and said, there's no way you're all alone. And you know what? I was proven wrong. We had two people reach out, which is, I mean, I guess I would have allowed maybe one person would reach out, but (laughs) twice that amount reached out. So I wanted to give a shout out to Andrew Nicolau, uh, one of our our patrons who reached out and said, uh, another episode, another semi-embarrassing admission from me. I know exactly what JG, John Gullo, was describing Mm -hmm. in his recollection of an unexpected, familiar Coroni taste during his recent dental work. It's definitely a thing. I think it's the adhesive. So actually, when he said adhesive, that's a note that if someone listed that with Coroni, I wouldn't have, you know, scoffed at. Okay. So I think he he put the pieces together there for us. Well, I mean, he's he's not wrong because I think I get where he's going with that. But at the same time, I distinctly remember tasting this while he was drilling. So it couldn't have been the adhesive in my case. I just gave you your out. That that was that was it. And you're like, no, that I'm honest to a fault, Will and and. (laughs) This guy was drilling in my mouth while I tasted this Oof. note. So, uh, well, yeah. We also had uh, A.N. Miller, who left a comment on YouTube. Uh, they said, I get that dental note, parentheses, maybe porcelain tooth filler slash cement or rubber. But uh, A.N. gets it from the Claren Vival and Claren mm. Casimir uh, rather than 
Caroni. Uh, I think they mentioned they've not had Caroni uh, yet, but right. it's in the Clarins for them. So that just goes to show mm-hmm. usually if you taste something that maybe you feel a little sheepish saying you taste it in a rum, there's probably someone else out there who would agree with you. There you go. So, yeah, 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 let's not bury the lead here. You, you were wrong. There are people. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like we led with that. We didn't bury the lead. That was the first thing that we said. You're just trying to throw it back in my face again. A little bit, maybe. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, moving on. Hope you feel better soon. But in, in the meantime, perhaps we can soothe your aching tooth with a little conversation about Mexican rum. Yes. I think the first place to start is why why like we did an episode similar to this uh maybe a month or so ago that was the rum cast guide to jamaican rum mm-hmm. it's we got a really good response to it so we kind of want to do some more episodes like that and we instead of going i feel like the natural thing would have been to do something like barbados or guyana next you know you, we, we came out big out of the gate with jamaica like one of the big one of the first rum countries you're going to point people to heavy hitter mm-hmm. and we yeah we kind of took uh, a hard left turn uh to go to a little detour through Mexico instead of yeah. going with kind of one of the big, more, I guess you would say mainstream or yeah, heavy hitter, like you were saying. Yeah. But Mexico is fascinating to both of us. And wh- so why, why did we decide to go with Mexico here, John? Well, I, I think it's, a like you said, it's fascinating as a rum-producing country because it's not often associated with rum, obviously. Yeah. You know, the headline there for Mexico is obviously agave-based spirits, mm-hmm. tequila, mezcal, uh, which most people are familiar with. But they're making some pretty fantastic rum that both you and I have had in recent years yeah. that we feel it, it, it merits attention. And that's kind of what we wanted to do today was, uh, like you said, rather than go to a country that we know that there's a lot of rum love for, maybe to a country that has less of a profile for that and shed some light on Mm -hmm. some of the particular producers and rum makers that are making things that we feel are fantastic, that rum enthusiasts should be excited about, that they should be trying to seek out where they can. Yeah. So that's kind of my thoughts on where it was. What what was it for you? Well, no, I think think you said it all right there. Mm -hmm. It seems to me every time I turn around, I'm seeing some new bottle, new label or something of a rum Mm -hmm. from Mexico that I haven't heard of yet. And I'm just like, there's so much here, so much coming out of this country. And we we scratched the surface a little bit on an episode we did uh, quite a while back, actually. We interviewed Francisco Terrazas Mm -hmm. uh, from Paranubes, which is one of the rums we'll talk about today. But uh, Francisco has a, a lot of knowledge of not just sugarcane spirits in Mexico, but agave spirits as well. And his, his work with Mezcal Vago, um, which is kind of the people behind that ended up putting the Paranubes brand out there. And I remember one of the things he said in that episode that stuck with me about Mexican rum is he said, it's very diverse and it's hard to wrap your arms around. Yeah. And so I think... Whereas with the Jamaica episode, I would say that's more of like our our aim for that was like a comprehensive look Mm -hmm. at the rums produced in that country. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be comprehensive because if it if the goal were to be comprehensive, this episode would be like 10 hours long. Because a place like Jamaica, there's six rum distilleries and they're all well known, like none of them are, are, are very small or anything like that. And so you can kind of dig into all of them with Mexico. There are tons of producers and and there's many different kinds. You have some some sort of big distilleries, but you also have something more akin to like, I don't want to say it's exactly the same, but more comparable to a place like Haiti with Clarin, mm-hmm. where you have hundreds of, you know, small maybe just one person operations. Yeah. You'll you see that with sugarcane spirits 
all over Mexico. Um, I mean, I want right. to say hundreds. It might, it might even be in the thousands. I don't know for sure. Right. And kind of the way we're looking at this, I, I'd say very broadly speaking, there's sort of three types of Mexican rum bubbling to the surface right now. You ha- you do have some what I would kind of say like regular style rums, mm-hmm. like more comparable to rums that you would find in a lot of other Latin American countries. So right. you're thinking column distilled, lighter bodied, that kind of thing. Bacardi even has had operations in Mexico for close to a hundred years now, getting close there. They've made some products for the Mexican market, some stuff for export markets. It's actually it's 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 hard to get information on exactly what's been made there, what is still made there. We don't know, for example, how much distillate is made there that goes into other Bacardi products and things like that. So we're not going to get into that too much, but there are rums of that style also made in Mexico as well. Mm-hmm. Then you also have what I'm going to call Aguardiente rums mm-hmm. and what I'm going to call Chiranda rums. And I'm being a little fast and loose with this terminology, but we'll, we'll get into all that because there's still a lot to figure out with this. But these are the more the smaller producers, right? Uh, especially with with Aguardiente, there is a Toronto producer that I, I think is is really growing in size. But those are the rums. A lot of them are fresh cane juice based, mm-hmm. very small production. Again, more comparable to like Claren and Haiti or something like that. Not universally, but somewhat. And I think those are the ones that we're really gravitating toward that we can't get enough of that, you know, every time one comes out, I'm doing all, all this research, trying to type up, find out as much about it as I can. And I think those are the types mm-hmm. of rums we're more so going to to focus on in this episode. Yeah. Uh, not to discount the other ones, but just, you know, we're trying to go where our interests follow us and where a lot of the excitement is right now. And one, th- one thing we are going to do, because you and I, we've got this massive Google Doc now. With, like, <laughs> we, we were, because we had a, a good working knowledge, I think, of a lot of Mexican rums, but we wanted to make sure we weren't overlooking some. And as we started, Mm -hmm. yeah, doing more intentional research, there's just, we're just finding distillery after distillery and producer Mm -hmm. after producer. So on the episode page for this episode on our website, we are going to list as many of these Mexican producers as we can that we've found so far. Uh, Because like I said, we're not going to be able to talk or even mention all of the producers that are currently making stuff right now. Right. Um, And we we don't want to leave anyone out. We want to give people sort of a comprehensive companion, we'll say, to to the the rooms we're going to discuss in this episode. So we'll put a link in the show notes. If you go to that, you'll be able to find more of a... I I don't even... I hesitate to say complete list because... I know as soon as oh, yeah. we put it up yeah, there, yeah. there's going to be some that we missed. There's going to be some new ones that pop up. And if there are ones missing from the list that you're aware of, please let us know. We kind of want to start creating the comprehensive list of Mexican rums. And whereas this episode is kind of, let's talk about some that that you and I in particular are really drawn to and think are fascinating. And uh, some of these are producers that we have personal tasting experience with. Some are ones that we ha- are, are yet to try, but are really interested in. So mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, I think that's that's kind of setting the stage for the conversation. Did I, did I leave anything out? No, I think, in fact, you're, you're kind of a comparison in certain ways to Haiti, although very different in terms of a lot of respects, makes mm-hmm. sense from the perspective of saying Mexico is a place where sugarcane grows, right? Yes. So just from that standpoint, you know that that, that is going to be, I don't want to call it a low barrier to entry, but if it, if it sugarcane's already growing there, it seems like a natural occurrence. You're going to have a lot of people indigenous there that mm-hmm. are going to want to do something that they can and distill this. And so that's why you have this kind of a similar kind of... Uh, 
grassroots type of effort from a lot of different people. Yep. Uh, or should I say sugarcane roots type of effort from a lot of people. Nice. Uh, well, it, it is a grass, so, so it's still a grassroots it, effort. You're right. Hey, bam. <laughs> that's right. Good Good point. So, yeah, I think we can take a quick break and get into it, and we'll we'll go through each one. So piggybacking on what you said before the break, really good point to bring up how long sugarcane has been growing in Mexico because mm-hmm. sugarcane has been there for hundreds of years. So naturally, when that happens, you're almost always going to find people that were making spirits from sugarcane in some way. Yeah. And that's the case you find with a lot of these rums we're going to talk about now. These date back. Uh, some of these producers have been doing it for generations. And there's there's two words you'll hear again and again on this episode. Those are charanda and aguardiente. And those are two of the types of sugarcane spirits that you're seeing a lot of coming out of Mexico right now. And the reason why they have those names is because when, you know when they were made decades ago, things like that, they weren't associated locally with rum, really, at all. They had their own local name for them. Uh, in, in, right. one, in one part of the country, it was Charanda. In other parts, it's Aguardiente. And it's interesting with Aguardiente because that word you'll find all over uh, Spanish-speaking countries. Yes. And a lot of times, it doesn't refer to sugarcane spirits, kind of like adding another layer uh, of yeah, uh, confusion a little bit. Confusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so much of this is hyper-localized. And right. part of the reason why you're now seeing these described as part of the rum family is because it's interesting because you can find other cases of this, like cachaça, for example, where that's mm-hmm. a sugarcane spirit. But cachaça right. has always intentionally separated itself from right. rum in a lot of ways. Like it, when you pick up a bottle of cachaça, it's not going to say the word rum on it. Mm-hmm. But um, or I'm, hold, yeah. I'm holding up this bottle now because I think it's one of the most prevalent newer Mexican rums out there is the Uropan Chiranda Blanco. It's the one in the unmistakable electric blue <laughs> bottle. And when you look at this label, like it says Chiranda Blanco at the top, and then underneath where it says Uropan, it says single blended rum, and rum is in quotation marks. And we actually, we talked about this a little bit with Francisco in our episode on Paranubes because they do a similar thing where their bottle says Aguardiente de Caña on it. Right. Uh, right. But it also says rum. And part of the reason for that is as these products are being introduced to the rest of the world, exactly. in, in right. many cases for the first time now, it's kind of an easier way for them to describe what their product is yeah. to people. You have to imagine how difficult that must be from a marketing perspective. Yeah. And although we're we're both kind of like not about the marketing of things, I mean, imagine as a company or as a person just producing this, you want people to try this, of course. You right. want people to get your good stuff. But how are you going to do that if you don't somehow translate it in a way that makes sense to giving what people should expect from the product mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's a delicate balance with it. Uh, again, I, I won't refer to this uh, episode every 90 seconds, but on our <laughs> episode uh, on Paranubes, uh, Francisco pointed out to us, he said, you know, we're trying to be true to the producing culture, but also make it understandable for the consumer. So yep. that's why 
a lot of times you're not seeing them totally abandoning that terminology, whether it's Aguardiente or, or Charanda mm-hmm. or anything like that, but trying to keep that as part of the identity, but make it easier for people to understand and making it kind of part of the rum family as well, which, which just makes sense because it's by the legal definition of rum, it is also rum and it's made similarly to a lot of other rums around the world. Right. So, by the legal definition in the United States, right? You're saying it would also rum. But yeah, then, exactly. Exactly. Right. And I think the EU as well. Um, yes. You know, it's it's a spirit distilled from sugarcane byproducts. So right. there's a couple more things. You know, there's it has to be below a certain yeah. proof and that kind of thing. But these rums would all qualify for that. So yeah. with all that said, as kind of background, I think the, the first place to start is with Urupan Charanda. And... I want to talk a little bit about what Charanda means. Yeah. So it's actually, it's it comes from the Purepecha language, which mm-hmm. is an indigenous language to Michoacan. Michoacan is a state in kind of western central Mexico. It has a coast on the Pacific, and it translates to red soil, which has factors in big to what Charanda is. There, in, in certain parts of Michoacan, there's this mm-hmm. sort of reddish-colored volcanic soil, and Charanda making, I was going to say rum making, but making <laughs> sugarcane spirits in this area uh, has been big for a long time, even though it's dwindled somewhat in recent years. Uh, I think I read that around 80 years ago, there were about 100 Charanda producers in this small part of Michoacan. Wow. Today, there's about six, and Uropan is the largest. It's operated by the Pacheco family. They've been doing this for a few generations. They actually started in Mezcal, but in 1907 started making sugarcane spirits. So already over 100 years in, in rum, which is, or Charanda, I should say, which is, is, is pretty cool and I think surprising to some people when, yeah. as we were saying, Mexican rum, it's in one way this new thing, but in another way, it's this very old thing, right? Right. I want to hear more about that hard left they took in 1907 to start this. We'll have to figure that out at some point and who we can talk to, because that is an interesting decision. I wonder if there's any history on that. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I think there is. I think I talked about it before. I don't remember all the particulars. Yeah. And I also think part of the reason why Charanda production has gone down there is I I I feel like I remember saying that other things have become a lot more profitable than sugarcane like avocados for example Mm. Uh, I believe I remember Miriam Pacheco talking about that in another interview but one of the things that the Pacheco family have put a lot of effort into is actually getting what's called a denomination of origin for mm-hmm. Charanda. Mm-hmm. And you can think of that as something like a GI, mm-hmm. but it was actually, it was recognized by the Mexican government all the way back in 2003. And this denomination of origin, it's similar to like what, I, I think it's the same thing actually that tequila and Mezcal have. Right. Um, I think they got those a lot. I think the tequila one was like back in the seventies or something like that. Obviously those are much bigger industries at this point, right. but, but you have it, to manage or imagine that they helped ease the way into this, right? Yeah, yeah, so, for, for sure. Whereas other countries might not have other spirit categories that have been so prominent on, That's and a to good need point. this done, this probably helped them to get that denomination because the logic behind it just was like, ah, okay, we get it. We do it for these. We're going to do it for those. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you think about how valuable tequila has become for Mexico... And right. yeah, seeing that happen with that, I, that's that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that at all because you think about something with Barbados and obviously mm-hmm. the latest chapter in their GI saga is is news right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting to think if, if there had been another spirit there that had already done this a few decades ago, it probably it might have been easier to get it done. But this the, the Toronto one, 
I actually I found the the text for the denomination of origin online, and I'm, I'm not going to go like through every last thing, but I just wanted to go through a, a few little interesting points I found in it, just to so you can kind of understand like what defines Chiranda, what are the parameters around it. I think the most important one to start with is the location parameter. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there are 113 municipalities in the state of Michoacan. Chironda can only be made in 16 of them. So a relatively, huh. like Mexico is a huge country. The state of Michoacan, I don't think it's gigantic, but it, right. it, like it's not an insignificant not mm -hmm. chunk of land. Mm -hmm. um, but only 16 municipalities within that. Now we're talking about a much more defined limited geographic location but all of those 16 municipalities have that red soil that's mm -hmm. referred to by the name Chironda. Um, the next thing I was wondering about it was just because all of the Chironda products I have have some element of cane juice in them so I right. wasn't sure if that was a requirement or not. It actually isn't. Um, mm. You can make Chironda from sugarcane juice, molasses, uh, piloncillo which is sort of a it's a very unrefined sugar product that is is made and, and very prevalent in mexico think of uh. it just kind of like very dark unrefined sugar and mm. i think sometimes you see it in like those cones you know what i'm talking about have you ever seen those no i, I it's like these hard cones of sugar um and you can break oh, them up but i think i have seen that yeah but is yeah. it a sugar cane yeah i mean it's, it is okay yeah i mean it's it's sh sugar it's sugar from sugar cane yeah i yeah. mean that's the only way to get it unless you're using uh sugar beets i would guess right beets but or yeah i mean if you just think you about extract it sugar from a lot of things but it's sugar the way sugar is normally done it just isn't refined like right the, the sugar okay. that ends up on our tables i see okay so you can use that as well or you can use a combination of all of these but it does make the distinction that the raw ingredient has to come from those 16 municipalities. So if mm. you are using molasses, for example, it still has to be from cane that was grown in Michoacan. So this would be different, for example, for something like Barbados, you know, where even with the new GI, the molasses doesn't have to come from Barbados because they simply don't have enough molasses right. there. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, it all has to, it's hyper local. It has to be from that area. And then a couple of other interesting things. They, they, they have four descriptors based on age. And I think this is somewhat analogous to tequila and also to an extent, like rum agricole has some naming conventions like this for different types of age. So mm -hmm. with Chironda, Blanco or white is no aging. Uh, they have one that is called Dorado or gold, which mm -hmm. is the result of mixing that unaged Chironda with any Chironda that has been aged. Then they have reposado. So if you're a tequila fan, a term you'll be familiar with. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's when uh, aged in oak or oak barrels uh, for a minimum of two months. So that's like a very lightly aged spirit. And then they have añejo or aged. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a minimum of 12 months in, in oak, basically. And they have like some maximum capacity conventions and things mm -hmm. like that so yeah just kind of a little interesting if it's in yeho that means at least a year anything right. other than that it can be less than a year and nothing extra in yeho or anything like that yet i didn't see that yeah i okay. didn't see that in in what i looked up and yeah and i know uruapan now has an en yeho product on mm -hmm. the market that i think is relatively so does Paranubis, new. i think yeah yeah uh -huh. when we get it, there we'll talk about that yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and then one last thing i wanted to mention i saw this word Avocado, which I'm not saying avocado. It's like avocado, but with a B instead uh -huh. of a V. Uh -huh. And it came up in a context that 
when I was looking at it, I was like, I think this is talking about additives. But when I popped avocado into Google Translate, it translated as doomed, like D-O-O-M-E-D. And I was like, okay, that can't, that can't be, yeah, it's like you're allowed, you know, the spirit can be doomed. It's like, yeah. I know that something is lost in translation there. And so, actually, is this is a, this is a term that is used in Mezcal as well. And I found yeah. a description on this website, mezcalistas.com. And I know you'll get a kick out of this, John, as a, okay. a fan of language. Yeah. You know, you've mentioned that before. And I haven't heard this before. So, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. All right. What is this? So, say? what they said on this website is, avocado is one of those funny words that has vastly different meanings depending on the context. In the word of associations unrelated to alcohol, it means exposed. But in the world of wine, it means semi-sweet or quaffable. Quaffable. Um, wow. Quaffable. Exactly. One of our favorite words on the podcast. Yeah. But they, they, they continue. They say, back to mezcal, because even in this world, avocado has a few different meanings centered around the idea of a sweetened or infused mezcal. Huh. So, that's what they're getting at here. And in the case of the Chirana de- denomination of origin, in respect to avocado, it says... Uh-huh. One or more of the following can be added. Caramel color, natural oak extract, glycerin, or sugar-based syrup. The standard also specifies that its use should not be greater than 1.1%, and any color resulting from the process should be slightly amber. So, mm. that was kind of like eyebrow-raising yeah. to me that the, the this denomination of origin allows for sweetening. So, you know, I, I haven't done much research into it beyond that as mm-hmm. as far as like do any of these chirondas have additives obviously i've had several urupans products and they've never struck me as like i've never had the thought i wonder if this has been sweetened or anything like that all of the hydrometer test websites out there none of them have have tested these rums so anyway i, I don't want to speculate and say like this might have sweetening in it because I, I don't know that for sure. And um, I've always enjoyed these products. But yeah, it was interesting to me that that was left in the denomination of origin. Yeah, that is interesting. I, I'm seeing two things as a uh, an amateur linguist here, uh, <laughs> which is a uh, boca in Spanish is mouth, of course. Oh. So an aboca, abocado might mean something to do with like more easily ingested Okay. Hence, quaffable. Yeah, quaffable, like like right. like we were saying. I mean, I have no basis for this uh, other than, you know, when I'm looking at this word, so it's probably wrong. But I just find that interesting that it, that could be it. Uh, also, just as an uh, iron- ironic thing, abogado, A-B-O-G-A-D-O means lawyer. Mm-hmm. In- oh, interesting so uh, i probably i think that's probably not connected at all but just an irony there that it's you know having a legal kind of uh idea here of uh uh-huh. of the denomination and uh and that tie so and then anyways, in, in italian you have affogato which is the dessert with espresso with ice cream right oh nice <laughs> i forgot about that one yeah i, I guess maybe you could you know that's a, a sweet quaffable dessert to uh yeah to, you a know so, dessert i don't know maybe it's all connected a movable feast uh, okay <laughs> yeah um a movable topic as we move yeah. on to to uh the rest of actually talking about the uropan rum so that gives some background on on chironda and the the denomination of origin there but um uropan as we were saying it's uropan is the name of a town which is where this distillery is located they grow multiple sugarcane varieties. Mm-hmm. They have four different ones. They've got a water-operated mill to crush the cane, open air, wild fermentation, about 11 days. So, you know, a fairly extended wild fermentation. 
that they do there. They they distill the cane juice in pot stills. They actually they have this interesting still there that they refer to as a Filipino style hmm. still uh, because it has wow. origins in the Philippines. Parts of it are copper, parts of it are clay, and then they have a couple of other additional. Uh, these are all direct fire pot yeah. stills. Doubles fascinating. Du- yeah, yeah, it's re- it's it, really cool. There's there's uh, a good kind of virtual tour of the distillery. They also have like an on-site cooperage there mm-hmm. uh, and and everything. So it's it's a pretty cool operation. We'll we'll link to some of those resources on them. Yeah, and I, I'll admit to as an American, this is uh-huh. the most American thing I'm going to say. Probably is that I just think of the map and I think of the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of that map and the Pacific on the two sides. Uh-huh. So I forget like, hey, the Pacific coast of Mexico there. You know, you go across the Pacific and there's the Philippines. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's just, I, I, I know that's so silly probably, and I'm outing myself by saying how stupid that is that I forgot that, but it is an interesting thing to think about the influence coming from that side of the world into For Mexico sure. and not just from the other side of the world in Europe and the Americas. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And, and you, I mean, you run into that with a lot of Caribbean countries, um, for example, like, you know, the Indian influence in a in a place like Guyana, yeah. for example, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you don't you don't necessarily know about this stuff until you uh, look more into it. But yeah, so they they have the cane juice stuff. Um, they also ferment and distill molasses that they source locally. So I think some of the cane that they grow, they send to nearby mills, and then mm-hmm. they get some of the molasses that's made from that cane. So they also have a single column still, kind of similar to the French stills used in rum agricultural production, mm-hmm, to my understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they also do a molasses fermentation, much shorter, like 48 to 72 hours, and they distill a, a column distilled molasses rum as well. They do on-site aging. I was mentioning the cooperage they have. And last year uh, in an in interview, Miriam Pacheco said their oldest uh, that they have there was about 10 years old. So, you know, building up some interesting age stock there as well. In terms of the bottles people may be familiar with, like I said, I think the one that most of our listeners have probably seen is that blue bottle, the Uruapan Chironda Blanco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that one actually is a 50-50 blend of the pot distilled cane juice rum and the column distilled molasses rum, bottled at 46% ABV. I, I really enjoy this rum. I was actually, I hadn't, It's to me, it's a warm weather rum. And so yeah. yesterday, you know, it was another like borderline a little 100, warm. 100 yeah. degree day here <laughs> in Tennessee. So... I busted out a Topo Chico, mixed in a little Uruapan nice. Chironda Blanco, a little squirt of lime. So kind yeah. of a Chironda take on a ranch water. Yeah. And um, it was just great. And I, I think the way that I would describe this rum is it's almost like if you took a cane juice rum, I mean, this is literally what they're doing. But in practice, when you smell the nose on this rum, for me, I'm like, oh, big time cane juice rum. Then when I taste it, I'm like, oh, wow, the cane juice influence is really tempered by that column still molasses rum. Mm. So I think if you're someone who maybe hasn't fully acquired that taste for a cane juice rum yet, right. I would look into this one because you can kind of like almost wean yourself onto it with this because, mm. again, that that cane juice punch, uh, it's there on the nose for me, but on the palate, um very approachable and you know not not as green and, and grassy as a lot of the agricoles and things like that can get so yeah um yeah i i really like this one i'm i'm in full agreement with you with that and also about the next one kind of yes uh, we're going to talk about which is the the Sharonda blanco single agricola rum 
uh, which is it, so the this is not the electric blue bottle. This one's a little harder to find. I think mm-hmm. it's got a uh, a very kind of classic label with kind of old timey looking. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. got like this old paper look to it, and the bottle is just a white tall bottle. Um, so it's a little harder to find, but that's how I tell people to find it because you know the names are so similar between the other one and this one. Uh, they're both 46 ABV, but I believe the the single Agricola rum is 100% pot still. Yep, and it's a cane juice rum still, right? And it is really, really great. Of the two, this is the one that I favor. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you. I think they're both really, really nice. And I fully agree. I get a tiny bit more sweetness and a little less grassiness yeah. than I do from the, the French ag- agricole rums. Yes. So uh, I'm right there with you on it. And I really, this is, ooh, gosh, of all the Mexican rums I've had, I think this might be my favorite is that single Agricola uh, Charanda Blanco. Uh, I've, I've heard that for sure. I, I would yeah. say like on the the funkiness scale, mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to talk about Paranubes here in a little bit, but I think Paranubes has kind of earned the reputation as like the funkiest, really distinctive Mexican cane juice yeah. rum. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's very one of a kind, very interesting yeah. flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't forget it. And to me, Uropan's products are a little bit tamer. But in and, a good way. Like, we're not yeah. talking about... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I describe both of those products in a positive way. Like, right. they're just doing different things, right? right. And I think that's super cool. Um, this one, the Uropan ones, I think, are just, like, a little bit more approachable, maybe. Especially mm-hmm. if you're newer to these spirits. Whereas Paranubes, I compare more to, like, Clarin, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where it's a little more adventurous. You're going to get some, you know, wild, savory yeah. flavors and things mm-hmm. like that in there. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's one more to talk about from Uropan, which is the newest. It's an Añejo Chiranda. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is the it's the same 50-50 blend that's in the Chiranda Blanco that we talked about first. Right. But this one has been aged for 22 months in ex-bourbon barrels. Um, so again, I think a lot of people will hear 22 months and be like, oh, that's super young. Right. But when you're comparing it to Mexican spirits, uh, you know, that... Right. amount of aging in a spirit like tequila, you know, is yeah. a lot more common than in rum, sort of like a lightly right. aged influenced spirit. And in its league, right. Yeah. Exactly. I'm actually yeah. kicking myself because a friend of mine, I was uh, at one of my favorite stores here in the Nashville area, Elixir, recently, and they had this and en- Yeho rum there. And a friend that I was with bought it and I just haven't grabbed the taste of it yet. But um, I'm dying to try it and, and report back with because I'm really curious for me and and aged products with cane juice the first question i always ask is just like what's the balance between the oak and the cane you know because it can be so easy for the oak to just kind of dominate the cane flavor Mm -hmm. and sometimes you lose that sugar cane juiciness yeah Uh, and to me the ones that are the best are the ones that really nail that balance and so i'm hoping that this one nails the balance but unfortunately i can't say one way or the other yet personally yeah my experience with agricole that are aged in general is the less they're aged the more i kind of like them Mm -hmm. and i'm not sure why that is it might be exactly what you said because you start to lose something of that freshness the longer age and i'm thinking of you know like eight year ten year product yeah that's not to say they aren't good i've had some really fantastic Mm -hmm. ones so they're they're out there but that's why i haven't tried this yet either the the urupan uh, Sharonda Añejo. And I really want to because I feel like 22 months might be where the sweet spot is mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to trying that as soon as I can get my hands on it also. 
Yeah, and and them using used cooperage, I think that that's mm-hmm. a, a positive sign for me because mm-hmm. often that's going to mean you're going to get a little less oak influence than, for example, if they were using... Because a lot of times you'll see with low amounts of aging, like 22 months, for example, people will want to use new oak casks. So ones yeah. that haven't been used because mm-hmm. those are really going to slam it with that oak a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, they use ex-bourbon barrels, so probably more of a tempered influence. So yeah, yeah, looking forward to checking that out. And real quick here at the end, Uru, this this facility, they also make a few other brands of Chiranda. There's one called Sol Tarasco Chiranda and another one called El Tarasco Chiranda. <laughs> and these are products I'm a little less familiar with, but there's some really interesting things going on. And so they have some unaged ones, they have aged ones. They also have one that is infused with mushrooms that yeah. grow locally that I've, that I've heard a lot about. And, you know, I, I find very intriguing because yeah. it's so tied to like local tradition and things like that. So those are, are, are other you a ones. mushroom guy? Will? Am I a big mushroom guy? Yeah. Um, <laughs> John, that's kind of a, a personal question, I would say. Um, no, I, in terms of, yeah, culinary mushrooms. Actually, you know, growing up, I was a really picky eater as a kid. Never would have touched a mushroom. Right. Um, I think once I got into college, I really started expanding my palate and mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself a picky eater at all anymore. And mushrooms are something that, I don't know, in the last five years or so have really grown on me a lot and i i really huh. like them no pun intended i, I yeah, yeah nice um no I, I seek them out actually uh I, I just had a really good mushroom pizza recently from a local like authentic italian style pizza yeah. place yeah. um they had some good like i think they were porcini mushrooms they yeah, were fantastic so right. i am a mushroom guy to long-winded okay. way of answering the question well, yeah you, what are you're you? definitely you're more of a mushroom guy than I am. And mm-hmm. I, I did expand my palate also, but for whatever reason, mushrooms has not been part of that. I think, the, interestingly, not to spend too much time on this as an aside, but interestingly, mushrooms are similar to Roman sense of, in the sense of their diversity. Yes, right? I you was have, about to make the same point. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you're, there's so many types of mushrooms out there, and they, there's such a wide range of flavors uh-huh. to experience. I have liked a few. I've found in recent years, there, there's been a few that I've been like, you know what? These are, these are pretty good. Not mm-hmm. offensive. And others that I'm like, nope, don't like that flavor. Get it off. So I guess the, there's a mushroom the out there thing, for you. Is what you're saying. Just like we say, there's there a rum out there for everyone. I would love <laughs> to try this uh, this extra age Chirondo with hongos, which is mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would be happy to try it. I have no idea what to expect from this, which is rare in the rum world, right? So yeah. I don't yeah. know. I just find it interesting. I agree. Yeah. Well, well, moving on, I want to touch on one more rum from Michoacan right now. And this is one I had the opportunity to try recently. It's called Gustoso Mexican Mm. Rum. And this was another one of those cases where until I saw the bottle, I had never heard anyone talk about this before. And I was just like, this is exactly why we need to talk about Mexican rum more because this stuff is just popping up. Keep coming. Yeah. Yeah. And this was another hundred, this bottle in particular um, that I was able to try. It was a 100% cane juice rum. That's not the only thing they make. They also, uh, similar to Urupan, they have a blend of both fresh cane juice and molasses. And interestingly enough, until 2018, they worked with the Pacheco family in Urupan to make the rum. Um, But since 2018, they've been producing all of their rum on their own. And the first product they made on their own was that 100% cane juice rum I was able to try, which they they, they actually, and this is getting into the whole Chiranda, Guardiente thing, they do something interesting which you won't see the word Chiranda on the bottle. Instead, you see huh. it says Gustosto 
uh, Gusoso Aguardiente. And then on the cane juice one, it says Guarapo, which Guarapo was a word I had seen in Puerto Rico actually right. before, which um, basically means sugarcane juice. Right. And I, I think depending on where you are in the world, it might mean like different things. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it might mean more like a, you know, fermented sugarcane juice drink. But anyway, so I, I yeah. knew when I saw the word Guarapo, cane juice was part of it but another example of like another term that probably has local meaning but you know it's it's harder to to make sense of when you're coming into it from the outside so i actually reached out to them because i was very interested in they're in michoacan this seems like it would probably qualify to be a chironda and you know there's this denomination of origin and everything i wonder why they're not why they wouldn't use it. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, maybe they're not in one of those 16 municipalities. They're in right. a different part of Michoacan. Could be. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they they got back to me super fast, very responsive, nice, transparent company. And they basically said, we've never really had the intention of pursuing the Chironda denomination of origin. In theory, we do meet the criteria but they said the the denomination of origin is still kind of working itself out and that it's in in their eyes it's kind of this one producer that's really behind it and mm-hmm. it's it's to an, a certain extent still in its infancy and they feel like positioning their rum as you know rum made in Michoacan is novel enough for people to be interested and you know they like where they're at basically yeah so that was a really interesting perspective and I think as rum fans from the outside yeah. looking in, we see these terms and like we want it to be a thing, you know, but it's it's always interesting to see producers having to to agree on like all calling it the same thing. It's, it's yeah. a very hard place to get to, I think, especially when something is younger. And so that was just mm. a reminder to me for that. But that's another brand to check out, Gustoso Aguardiente. Again, I've had the Guarapo super solid uh like like i that's the other thing about these rums is mm-hmm. these these cane juice distillates from mexico i haven't had one yet that i just outright didn't like and i think right. that's like what gives us i think you've probably had a similar experience i think that's what gives us enthusiasm for focusing on these rums in this episode as opposed to some of the other stuff is i've just had positive experiences with a lot of these and every one of them hasn't necessarily blown me away but mm-hmm. i've been left being like all of these are at least solid and like quality and made in a very cool way. So there's the cane juice one. It's bottled at 49% ABV. They also have nice. the Blanco. Yeah. 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 Uh, you, you also see with a lot of these cane juice rums, a lot of them are bottled right around that 50% range, which is, is similar to how you see a lot of mezcals, for example. Right. You know, they bottle it still strength and a lot of these uh, aguardientes or you know, Chirondas, they come off the still at around that that proof. Anyway, that one, the cane juice one is at 49% ABV. They also have a bottle that is the blend of the cane juice and the column distilled molasses around. That one's at 40%. And then they have one that they label Añejado. Añejado. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, maybe that's a little bit longer than Añejo. I'm not sure. They describe it on their website as aged in fresh oak, sherry, and single pass whiskey casks. And that's bottled at 40% ABV. So... Yeah. That's another brand to look out for. 
again, that's that's one I, I feel like I haven't even seen someone post a bottle shot of that uh, in an online forum or anything, which is interesting to me. I, it uh, yeah, just happened I just to see say, it in a store here in Nashville. I know you, you sent me the picture. That was the first time I had seen uh-huh. it. And I'm really interested in this one, too, because number one, it all sounds great. Um, I think it's interesting. The bottle looks fantastic, too. It's got like a, I don't know, what's like a sugarcane imprint on the side of it. Uh-huh. Stock, yeah. And it looks really, really nice. What's, what's interesting is it looks like a super classy bottle. And uh, I'll divulge a little bit here for, for some linguist terms again here. But gustoso just means like yummy. Or oh, okay, t- does it really? Tasty. Okay. Yeah, tasty would be a good way to say uh-huh. it, I think. And so to like see this bottle that looks fantastically like classy and then it's like gustoso is the name is like, mmm, yummy. Uh-huh. Um, and then aguardiente, of course, meaning fire water or burn- burning water. Yeah. Uh, so it's like yummy burning water. <laughs> so, uh, of course, this is all my linguistic take and not cultural take. It might, you know, not mean sure. any of that kind of connotation for them, which I'm sure it doesn't. But I just find it interesting that uh, a lot of these names with it and añejado, I think, is more of like a specific time or like maybe a vintage. Oh, interesting. Uh, so maybe they're going to plan on having different vintages with that one too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, this looks fantastic. And uh, I hope this comes to my area soon. So yeah, that kind of concludes our Chiranda focus. Uh, I, I want to shift a little bit more to the Aguardiente side of things. And we'll do that with the brand that I think is most familiar with people. It's the one uh, we had an episode about on the show. That's mm-hmm. Paranubes. John, do yeah. you want to give some of the, the background on, on Paranubes? So Paranubis is uh, is a Oaxacan rum, as you mentioned. Yes. So it's uh, now we're moving out of Michoacan into a different region. So this is the Sierra Mazateca Mountains. They're made by Jose Luis Carrera and the Carrera family. They've been making it for generations. Again, you you talked about when we talked to Francisco, and he talked mm-hmm. a lot about the the history of this. So if you want to hear more of that, definitely go back and listen. And we won't spend too much time on it here. Um, but I know that they're also the people that are behind Mezcal Vago. Yeah. Uh, so. Francisco, yeah, and, and his team are, yeah. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of uh, working with uh, Mexico in different ways there in different spirit categories that has kind of brought about this Paranubis. It also means uh, uh, in the clouds, or was it from the clouds? Yeah, it was like for the clouds, for in the clouds. clouds. Yeah, for we had a whole clouds. discussion about yes. how it's 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 not an actual word. It's kind of a right. combination of two words because yeah. they wanted to they wanted a word that wasn't used anywhere else. You know, they wanted like yeah. a unique word. So that's that's what it and clouds. That comes from uh, in that sort of Being mountainous so part of Oaxaca. Up. They mm-hmm. call it the cloud forest. So that's the other thing I love about these Oaxacan rum. There's a lot of these Oaxacan aguardientes that are from like a similar area in these kind of mountainous regions. And it's so beautiful when you see the pictures. You go to a lot of these producers' websites and we'll link to all of them. And it's just like stunningly gorgeous, like sloping fields of uh cane and and lush mm-hmm. green trees and like looking. the clouds yeah. coming in and stuff and it's it's just you know jaw-droppingly beautiful yeah and wh- another thing you'll i i noticed when i was you know researching a little deeper into a lot of these brands is Paranubes is not the only one that has that mezcal connection a lot of these other brands that are coming out now where it's an external company of some sorts collaborating with mm-hmm. a producer who has been, you know, making their Aguardiente for for a long time, and they're basically developing a brand around it and right. partnering with them on it. Uh, a lot of these companies, the whole reason they're finding these Aguardiente producers is because they're already, they've already been there sourcing Mezcal and things like yeah. that. And just in the course of that, 
right. you end up hearing about people making aguardiente, and sometimes it's people who make both. Um, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get not with Paranubes, but in other cases. So, yeah, Mezcalvago uh, again kind of created Paranubes. I believe they're sort of separate entities now, but um, you'll see that pattern with some of these these other brands that we talk about. They also yeah. grow four varieties of sugarcane. They they primarily use one in the making of Paranubes, which is called Caña Criolla. And again, open air fermentation, wild yeast. They have these yeah. fermentation vats made of pine wood. Ferments for about 48 hours. But there's this interesting thing. We go deeper on it in the episode, but this kind of rolling fermentation technique where Jose Luis, he only distills half of the vat of fermented cane juice at a time. So one half gets distilled and then he tops up the vat with fresh cane juice Mm -hmm. and you essentially he does this in like four month cycles where you have this fermentation that never stops um except for once every four months when he empties out the vats and starts it all over again uh which is just really fascinating to think about and yeah not um, something we've ever heard from anywhere else right yeah yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember if there are other places that do a, a similar technique. Um, hmm. There are definitely other Aguardiente producers I found oh, yeah. as I looked into this more who who do that same thing, uh, or maybe not exactly the same, but a similar concept. And there's another interesting thing. Francisco told us that when when Jose Luis starts a new fermentation, he also boils two handfuls of this native tree bark. It's called mm-hmm. mes- mesquite bark. And mm-hmm. then he adds its... I think Francisco described it as almost like a tincture. He adds that to the fermentation to kind of like kick it off a little bit. And if there isn't any bark available, sometimes he'll use the skin of two pineapples instead, which um, I've also heard uh, (laughs) tales of, you know, fruit being used in fermentations at places like Hampton, jackfruit and stuff like that. So, you know, an interesting connection there of of other sort of non-sugarcane material being used to aid a fermentation. It's just fascinating. It's just so representative of the style of also like it's the antithesis of like the big uh, corporate, you know, multi-column thing where they're like, no, it has to be exactly this amount of this Mm -hmm. and this. And and I just imagine Jose Luis being like, ah, no mesquite today. Let's go for some pineapples. Let's try some pineapples. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's very cool. Um, and then distillation, he has a six plate column still it's direct fire. Uh, there's some great pictures of it on their website where they've got this kind of like furnace underneath it and yeah. it's, it's the fires all fed with spent cane fiber. So kind of reusing organic materials and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, the final product ends up 54% ABV no water added or anything like that. They just blend a few different cuts from the distillations to get to that mm-hmm. 54% ABV. And yeah, the, the bottling I think everyone is familiar with is the standard unaged 54% ABV bottling. Mm-hmm. Um, comes in one liter bottles. That's another thing I noticed with a lot of these Mexican, these newer Mexican rum producers or newer as far as like available and export markets. A lot of them are going with the one liter bottle, uh, which is... Hmm. is it's kind of cool. We've mentioned before we're fans of it's perfectly fine to stray from the 750 ml standard bottle size. Uh, For sure. So, 
well, especially where the pricing makes a good point to do that. So with the pricing in line with this one, I'm all for getting that extra 250 mLs uh, if it's affordable, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it helps for sure. Then there's also, we're starting to see a little bit of Paranubes and Yeho, which is a lightly aged version done in a variety of cask types. Uh, th- their initial releases were all in X tequila casks. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think, you know, there have been some other rum producers that have done stuff in X tequila casks that aren't from Mexico. And I think sometimes rum fans see that and kind of like roll their eyes as being kind of gimmicky. You know, I actually remember when we interviewed Frank Ward from Mount Gay, he was like, why would you use an X tequila cast, you know, for example. (laughs) But I feel like this is a scenario where it makes Makes a lot of sense um, Mm -hmm. because it has that regional connection. And also part of the reason they used those to start with, Francisco told us, was they called up friends to see like who had some casts they could use. And a lot of their friends are agave producers, right? And so they're like, we have these casts, we're done with them. Of course. Um, So some of those were in X tequila casks. They also have done some in New American Oak as well. I had a chance to... Have, have you had any of these of the aged Paranubes, John? I haven't had the aged, no. Only yeah, the I, mm-hmm. I had a chance to try one of the X tequila cask bottles recently, and okay. it was... I, I know Paranubes is already full of unexpected flavors, but this right. is like when I tasted it, it was just like completely subverted my expectations. Of like, what I, I don't know what I was expecting, but right. it was almost this heavy, and I, I try not to get into single tasting notes because it's subjective and a lot of people probably don't taste this. But to me, it was like this massive soy sauce note when it wow. came in right away. And then that faded to the stuff that I associate a little bit more with Parnubase, which is kind of like very savory grilled meat a little mm. bit. And yeah. uh, when that came in, I was like, okay, I like this now. But the the initial shock of it was so great. It was kind of like, what is going on here? But <laughs> it seems like umami. Uh, very, to yeah. Use a culture clash, yeah. A lot of umami, savory, savory flavors. Uh, yeah. Which, as as a mushroom guy, I should uh, be able to appreciate that, right? I'm, I'm, yeah. I guess so. Mushrooms yeah. are a big umami food, so. Um, I'm dying to try it, nonetheless. Because, uh, <laughs> but no, I, 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 man, I can't wait to find this one. I know it recently made its way near into Florida, mm-hmm. so I have to, I have to track this down and find it, especially now. Uh, with all of that reference that you've given, because it seems really interesting. You know, one one quick point, hearkening back to something that you said about tequila and the aging of tequila is not really very long. Mm-hmm. So I wonder those ex tequila casks. You know, when we think about ex bourbon, I mean bourbon sits for a while. You're right. That's a good whereas point. Whereas ex tequila, you know, like we said, a lot of times it's a reposado or an añejo at like twelve months. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think that's an interesting kind of difference there. Not just that it's a different base spirit but also the length of time that it's been in the cask. Yeah, so, maybe maybe hmm. the, the liquid has a little less influence on the cask right. than something right. like you were saying, like bourbon, for example. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Okay, so there's there's several more we're going to talk about, uh, and, and a lot of these fall into that Aguardiente category. Many of these, uh, maybe all of them, are in Oaxaca. There's a few. Daca Bend, there's, there's one, it's... I scoured the internet for any (laughs) interview or anything where the name of this producer was said out loud. I couldn't find it. I I pronounce it in my head as Soak. It's T-S-O apostrophe O-K. Again, it it comes from uh, an indigenous language, so I'm not 100% on the pronunciation there, but that's another one. Uh, There's one called... What's I'm going to go with Shook. Shook. Maybe Just because so. I want to be different. Yeah, and then it, we'll figure out. Yeah. It could be. Uh, there's one called Kamazots and one called Kanyada. 
And then uh, another one uh, that, that you were bringing to the surface earlier today called Ron Aconte, which actually comes from Mutual Con. So we'll, we'll go back to that a little yeah. bit. But starting with DocaBend, this mm-hmm. is one of the more recent ones I was able to try and was really impressed with this when I had it. I've heard uh, a lot about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I had a taste at that ACSA Craft Spirits Judging competition. Uh, one of uh, the judges at our table, Nika, she had a little bottle of it that she just you know brought along with her. And I was really impressed with it. It, it reminded it, on that sort of funk scale, you know, mm-hmm, in terms of like mm-hmm. how, how approachable, how out there. Um, I would put this lower than Paranubes. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I got right into it and mm-hmm. was really enjoying it. But this one also comes from Oaxaca. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting story behind it that I wasn't familiar with until I started looking into it a little bit more. But it's uh, a brand that was started by two cousins. Edgar Gonzalez Ramirez and Elisandro Gonzalez Molina. They were originally from this part of Oaxaca called uh, San Cristobal La Chirioag. Um, wow. And, and they moved to the Bay Area around 2000, and they had this idea to kind of start a business back where they were from that would bring more economic opportunity to the area. And so they ended up planting thousands of agave plants, and uh, they created this mezcal brand called Mezcal Tospa. Mm-hmm. And they, but they always had cane and aguardiente in the back of their mind because their parents and grandparents made it growing up. Yeah. So they kind of had this initial success with the Mezcal brand, and now they've moved on to getting to Aguardiente and rum with DACA Ben. So mm. I just thought that was a really cool story. And again, it, it just goes to show like how much the knowledge of this spirit, how, how much there is there and how many generations it goes back, even though it seems new to us. It's, it's, right. it's been there. It's been in the people for so long. Don't call it a comeback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I mean, similar similar production style, hand cut cane they mill it the their their fermentation is only about 24 hours so a little mm. bit less than paranubes mm. uh, double pot distilled they use one variety of cane uh, they call it caba c-a-b-a and mm. uh, an interesting note is they use a lot of the same equipment used for their mezcal with daca bend so including the stills and fermentation vats i think there's only like a small portion of the year when they focus on doing the cane. Right. And I guess the rest of the year they are maybe doing agave production. But again, they their fermentation process is similar to that kind of rolling fermentation style where, you know, they let it ferment for a while at first, that first batch. They say they let it sit there for up to two weeks and then they start that rolling fermentation and distill half of it, top it up, and distill again after 24 hours. It's almost like, it reminds me almost of like actual Solera aging, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah. it's almost like right. the fermentation needs an average age, you know? <laughs> right. So yeah, they have uh, an unaged bottling, 49% ABV, and they have an aged one as well, the four-year-old bottled at mm. 49% ABV. Um, it says American Oak, I'm not entirely sure if that's used cooperage or not. But haven't gotten to the aged yet, but um, really enjoyed the the taste of the unaged I had. And I'm, I'm hoping to be able to get a bottle of that soon. Yeah, I've seen the, this make the rounds on the rum enthusiast circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen a lot of positive comments on it. So you're not the first to say that they've got something going on. But yeah, I just haven't had a chance. Yeah. And uh, again, like I was saying, the Mezcal connection is there again. Yeah. So similar thing with uh, the next brand, uh, Soak, as I was saying, or perhaps Shook, if, if your Shook. pronunciation is correct. But it's another Oaxacan rum. It's from the Mije region of the Sierra Norte. The distiller is Carlos Mendez uh, Blas. 
And again, another Mezcal connection. The brand was started mm -hmm. by a guy named Reed Spear. He's the founder of Mezcal brand Quinta uh, uh, Quintos, is, I believe is how you say it. And uh, interestingly, what the, the word so'ok means, it's an animal companion that accompanies a mihe person from birth through their life that carries part of their soul. So kind of uh, the backstory yeah. has sort of that connection to the indigenous people of the region. But again, locally harvested, all cane juice, wild fermentation. And there was one interesting fermentation note I discovered in, in researching them uh, that another brand we'll get to in a second does as well they take some of the crushed cane stalks from the milling process and they okay. sort of fold them up into these bundles and they add these bundles of the crushed cane into the fermentation. And I believe the reason for this is the cane stalks have, you know, their own types of wild yeast on them. Right. And so the, the wild yeast on the cane is going to aid the sort of airborne yeast. Right. Um, Kickstart it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. There's a photo we'll link to on their website where they actually they take rocks and they put them on top of these cane bundles to to weigh them down in the fermentation. Oh. And they say it also like prevents it from foaming over. So again, yeah. there's there's all these interesting, you know, just fermentation yeah. techniques and stuff that I haven't heard talked about in as many other regions that that keep popping up here. Hmm. I believe they're they're only released on the market right now as an unaged bottle. Uh, again, forty nine percent ABV and one liter bottles. So, lots of similarities here. Um, the the differences come down to the the hand of the distiller and the the regional qualities. So, that's another huh. one to check out. One more in the Sierra Mije region is mm -hmm. Kamazots. Uh, this rum is distilled by Leoncio Gaspar. He's a second-generation rum or aguardiente producer. And Kamazats is a word that stems from the Zapotec people. So again, there's that indigenous connection. Mm -hmm. uh, the brand describes it as a Mexican bat god of night, death, and sacrifice. So uh, interesting imagery conjured up there. And their labels are like super colorful, you know, very like artistic looking. So it kind of fits with uh, the... The vibe given off by the the name there but again this is all juice open air wild fermentation and they do the same thing that technique of bundling the crushed cane stalks and huh. uh, they give a little more context they they wrote that the spent cane will develop pink patches when it starts to ferment and only these will be added to the fermentation tub wow. uh, and they had some interesting pictures where i could kind of see that that pink color developing on the the cane stalk so yeah, yeah. again uh, uh, just it's, interesting stuff. It is interesting. And because it's all kind of from the same, they, they're taking all these elements that are mm -hmm. natural, native to their region, right? Mm -hmm. That they've noticed and things, and, and they're using these in that way over time. And I'm sure a lot of this is cultural and learned over our generations. Yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting. I, I think it's particularly interesting just in, a, in a, a useful, practical way that they're saying, and by the way, it won't boil over either. It reminds yeah. me of like when you put the wooden spoon on top of the pasta water uh -huh, so yeah. that it doesn't uh -huh. boil over. It's the same idea, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I love the idea of the, the Mexican bat. <laughs> yeah. Mexican bat god of night, death, and sacrifice. You I say, know, wow. it's badass. Uh, it is badass. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't wait for the comic book. I, I think, yeah, you know, you hear a lot about these Mezcal tours and things like that through Mexico. I think someone needs to develop a rum tour to go to a lot of these local producers and things like yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. Sign me up for that. We'll do a couple more here. Uh, Kenyatta Distillery, again, another one that has an association with the Mezcal brand. 
Um, I believe this was developed by uh, the people behind Cinco Sentidos, which mm-hmm. is a mezcal brand. Yeah. And this one is has a pretty cool backstory. It was it, It's made by the Cressel family in Oaxaca. And when I saw the name Cressel, the first thing I thought of was, you know, that sounds like a European name. German, as, yeah. A, as opposed to, you know, a Mexican name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it, it has European roots uh, because the, the it's currently run by a group of brothers and their grandfather, Max uh, Cressel or, or Crassel, yeah. maybe, uh, he came to Mexico after fleeing Germany in yeah. the lead up to World War One in 1917. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he winds up in Oaxaca, learns to distill aguardiente on a mm-hmm. coffee farm, which they say it was it was common for you know a lot of these farms that did other stuff to also distill their own cane at the time. Yeah, and he eventually spins off his his own operation. He also designs his own column still. And I believe they're still using like a modified version of this column still. There's a really cool picture on their website. It's it's uh, this eight plate single continuous column still that they call the Crassel still uh, after <laughs> their grandfather. But That's cool. uh, yeah, other than that, hand harvested cane. Um, yeah. It's it's harvested around the distillery. They transport it by horse or donk- donkey to the mill, juice it, filter it, goes straight to the d- distillery. Uh, they ferment in stainless steel tanks. Uh, that was one thing that stood out to me was the stainless steel fermenters here. You see a lot of like wood vat fermenters yeah. at a lot of these mm-hmm. places, but this one's going with the stainless steel, but still wild yeast, six to 10 day fermentation. And then, yeah, that single uh, column distillation. And um believe there's just one rum from them available at the time. Uh, unaged, it's bottled at proof off the still, which is yeah. 53% ABV. So that's uh, that's another one to look into. Two quick things with this. One is the the first is uh, I'm not surprised to hear Max uh, Kressel story there because I happen to know another one very similar. Oh, uh, really? Univer- University of Miami president uh, President Julio Frank. He's uh, Mexican-born, but uh-huh. he is German descent for the same reason that they came over. He was the former Minister of Health okay. uh, for Mexico before coming to the university. So, yeah, I've heard that story before in a different context. So, yeah, that diaspora from Germany and, I guess, other European nations to Mexico, I, I really didn't know about that or learn about that same. until I heard of that. So, uh, it, very interesting to see those two kind of cultures come together. And then the second was, you know, maybe you're the best person to talk to about this because I feel... I feel like there's an interesting kind of parallel with American rum producers that when we see that, especially whiskey producers, bourbon mm-hmm. producers, and then they'll come out with a rum, right? Mm-hmm. So these small craft distilleries that are oftentimes, I think, waiting for their bourbon to age, yeah. but don't have to wait as long for, you know, you can put out a white rum for or sure. an aged rum. But that doesn't seem like the case with these here. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of these places, it's it's all they're doing. They're, they're making Aguardiente or rum or Charanda, and that's that's all they've made. Right, but their mez- w- the point was their Mezcal brands that are oh, kind of linking in. Oh, you mean from the brand in. angle. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, that's a good point. So you're, you're saying more more so like the, the people who are coming in and partnering with these producers and like creating the brand around it that I'm saying happen. Have this mezcal association right um, yeah yeah I, i'd say this is i, I see where, where someone might make that connection but yeah right this, this but would it's be not yeah a totally different thing whereas like the people behind those brands i, I think they're typically i i, I don't want to say too much about mezcal because i i'm not an expert but mm-hmm. my understanding is a lot of the the brands you see on shelves and stuff it's it's people coming in and partnering with these producers mm-hmm. as opposed to like the American company like creating the distillery themselves or whatever. Right. Um, and so like I was saying, you know, they 
they travel through Mexico finding these producers and, you know, trying to source the best stuff. And I think just in the course of those travels, it's it's almost impossible not to run into people making aguardiente as well. And so right. I right. think a lot of them end up seeing that uh, opportunity um, or, you know, tasting something they fall in love with. And I remember when we were talking to Francisco, you know, one of the first questions we had, I think, was, did you guys settle on Jose Luis right away? Or did you did you have something in mind of what you wanted? And then you went and looked for the mm-hmm. right Aguardiente producer. And he mentioned that they, they drove all over Oaxaca and they had like. 30 or 40 different samples back at their office by the end of it. So again, I I think we've talked about maybe seven, eight, nine, maybe producers on Mm -hmm. this podcast today. Mm -hmm. There Mm -hmm. are loads more out there. And I I think that's just what it is. Like you, you find these people making this stuff and eventually you find something extraordinary and you think we could do this too. You know, why not uh, share this with the rest of the world? Like we're doing a lot of these great mezcals. So Yeah, I, I don't look at it that much. I think like the tendency people might have is like, oh, what would mezcal people understand about rum, right? But in this yes. case, I think they're very well suited to understand sort of the the nuances and the intricacies of like how these products are made and recognize when they have a really good producer, you know? I, I agree. And I just don't want people to make that same yeah. kind of mistake and association where a lot of times it feels like there's an like... I don't know. Well, we're do this while we're doing this other thing. Right. And that's like we totally don't actually really care about here. this. Right. Right. This is much more of a, as we've talked about, a, a generational kind of thing that's been done there in Mexico forever. And it's just coming to light through these success of these other companies and other spirit categories are able to invest in this, which they see as a, a quality product as well. Yeah. So I think that's really fantastic. Yeah. No, that's that's a really good point to bring up. And going back to the DACA bin guys, you know, they they grew up with Aguardiente around. And yeah. Even though they did this Mezcal brand first, it was kind of in the back of their minds. And mm-hmm. and now that they have that set up, they're able to to go in and do Aguardiente now as well. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is it's also it's just it's a harder type of product to really champion and develop interest in, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, rum as a category is, is already kind of weird in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's looked down upon in a lot of ways. You know, we talk about this a lot. There's lots of misconceptions. And you're taking this, like, very niche type of rum and putting it out there in the market. And so yeah. I think it's maybe a riskier business proposition than something like, with. like Mezcal, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, And so that might be another reason why it's the second thing as a, opposed to the first thing. Like the mm-hmm. first thing can then fund the second thing. Um, yeah. And again, I'm just, I'm shooting from the hip here. I don't know for sure. I'm just speculating and theorizing. Yeah, I'm sure there's different reasons and different things that have come about, but I, I think that does make sense as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and on Dokabend, by the way, I, I didn't point out what that means. Um, I, I loved the, the translation of this. It means the disobedient one, or uh, I think the more literal translation is the one who doesn't listen. And I believe the, the two cousins were referred to a lot by that, by local people, kind of seeing their their exploits and things like that and yeah you know well it could apply to them putting that out right exactly yeah yeah it's like we're gonna do this even if it's you know gonna be difficult we want to share this with people so good for them yeah makes me want to buy it even more yeah so so one more last one to go over here which I, i just recently found so i only have a little bit of information about it but i thought it was super interesting to include here which is called uh ron aconte and this is a small batch cane juice rum in the michoacan area but not a sharonda also interestingly Uh, yes yeah interestingly not not 
said as a Sharonda. So what is interesting is I'm just gleaning information from their website at this point. And it seems like the product is only available in Mexico right now, from what I can tell after researching and trying to buy it. Um, But it looks like it's a single estate rum as well, meaning that they they have their own cane, they're cutting their own cane, Mm. they're aging and distilling, just like all these other ones that we've talked about there. Um, And they're putting out already an unaged, a three-year, and a seven-year. So I, I just found that, like you said at the beginning, Will, of these things are popping up everywhere. Like, it's not often that you you don't hear of something, you know, at all, and then all of a sudden, boom, they have a seven-year product. Um, it, could, it could be that it's uh, the the longer-age stuff could be sourced product or something like that. Maybe it is, uh, and that could be right. But it, it does look like something at least worthwhile. And the other thing that I wanted to quickly mention about it was that it's they, they hail it as a premium mineral rum. And that says that on the bottle. And it seems like this is sort of another attempt at a GI of sorts. It's almost like um, a little like seal, like a certi- it's almost like it's certified as a premium mineral rum, which, yeah, seems seemed interesting to me, especially because we saw it was Michoacan and but yeah. not Charanda, but premium mineral rum. And then you start connecting the dots on like, OK, minerals like that makes me think of soil, which the whole th- one of the big things with Charanda is the red soil, you know, right, and the sort right. of uh, volcanic mineral. Volcanic, uh, exactly. Yeah, so it's like, is this the same thing that they're right. you know approaching it from a different angle? Or and you would think that they would probably talk to the other producers in the area mm-hmm. and maybe collaborate some on what they're doing here. So that's why we found this one was interesting in these ways of like, huh? We don't know exactly what's going on with it. Mm-hmm. If anybody has more information about it, they've tried the rum. I'd love to hear more about it. Um, it seems like on the website they're saying the right things in terms of distillation and and what they're doing. So yeah, d- just wanted to point that one out. That to your point, Will, there's there's a new one every day. You know. So in our Jamaica episode, we approached it differently where we kind of gave recommendations for every distillery. And that's not that style isn't really feasible with this episode just because yeah. there's a there's so many and b a lot of these places only make one or two things. So it's like our recommendation <laughs> for, uh, you know, DACA Bend is to yeah. uh, try the unaged and maybe get the age too. it's the only thing <laughs> they make right now. So uh, it's not like Appleton, for example, where they have tons of different potential products to try. So I think a a way to kind of close this out is to, I think, recommend if you were just going to recommend broadly someone getting started who has never had a Mexican rum, where would you start? And I think in my mind, I'm going to think of it in terms of like Chiranda and the aguardiente side mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. um, and and pick a couple from those. But yeah, like, how are you thinking about it? Yeah, I think that's exactly what I would think about doing. And then, of course, if you can find, you know, an aged versus an unaged, maybe that would be a way to also parse it out a little bit. I really feel like for me, the unaged has been what I've been able to experience a lot more of. Mm-hmm. And so I feel more confident in suggesting something in that category. Same. Whereas the, the aged is a little bit more foreign to me, but in a good way. You know, also, that's something that I want to explore and I want to hear more of uh, from different people. So that's kind of I, I agree with your thoughts. And then I would also say segmented that way yeah yeah and i i think you know when i recommend something like rum agricole to people for the first time mm-hmm. i i think i generally always start with recommending an unaged product anyway, same here because to yep. me and i don't i don't want to i think a lot of time in in enthusiast circles some people turn their nose up at the aged cane juice products a little bit but i do think there's something to be said for experience experiencing cane juice products in that 
unaged context yeah where i feel like you get the most it's the most the pronounced cane. difference exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah I, I think for me first of all i recommend with just starting with the two easiest available ones because yep. you know don't don't kill yourself trying to find you know some of these that are a lot less prevalent and harder to source i would start with uruapan and paranubes just because those are the the two that are the most out there right now and yep. then my recommendation would be to search out one of the other ones we mentioned or there again there are others that we don't have time to get to that are out there that we will list in the episode uh post uh mm. on our website but find one that's near to you that you can source you know whether it's Dakabend or whether it's Kamazats or Soak or Kenyatta or, or any of these places and grab one of those as well. Uh, I, I know for me personally, the one that has stood out the most is that unaged DACA bend. I really mm-hmm. like that one. Uh, I actually really wish it were available in Nashville because I would definitely mm-hmm. buy some. But so that would be my advice. I would start with either of the unaged Uruapons and the unaged Paranubes and supplement it with whichever of the others is closest to you. Yeah. I wish I had a different take to give you, but that's exactly where <laughs> we need my, to fight about something. Mind is going. I, I mean, if we have to fight about something, I think it's. I, I still like the the single, uh, the the hundred percent pot still Sharonda. Uh, is the all cane juice one yeah Yeah. all all cane juice for me a step up but that doesn't mean that the other Sharonda blanco in the blue bottle is not good it really is and if that's the only one you have in your area definitely i would seek that out so yeah not much a whole lot different there i was going to suggest exactly what you said which is (laughs) which is what do you see near you exactly and in your area what's on the bottle that's made in mexico or excuse me what's on the shelf that's made in mexico Mm -hmm. and you know take the leap because what we've found so far as a general idea is that these are worth investing in. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to start to get a grasp of those, unlike, as you mentioned, you know, places where we, we have a lot more information and we have a lot more experience with, the Jamaicas, the Barbadoses. This is an area of exploration. Mm-hmm. So you go into it with the mindset of saying... I'm going to explore this space and just kind of take a leap of faith based on these are good practices, good people uh, that are making these, that are pushing these out, and that'll help the category to grow. So I think that's exactly what I would recommend is start with one of those, either the Urupan Charanda uh, or the the Paranubes. The Paranubes, is, it, 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 for a lot of people, it's going to knock your socks off. Yeah, that's that's maybe a good a good uh, qualifier. Is like if you are someone who is really into really funky rums, like you right. love the high high ester stuff. You love right. uh, if you if you really love Claren, I would say yeah. Paranubes is is probably up your alley. If yeah. you've tried that stuff, like maybe you've had some Claren and it just didn't click for you, then I would say right. you might not be ready for that i don't want to say ready for that like at some point if you don't like it you're wrong or something like that um because that's not the case but it might not suit your taste yeah Yeah. it might not suit your current taste uh whereas i think the urupan is a little milder dakabend is is Mm -hmm. somewhat milder again it's funny describing any of these as milder because (laughs) i think all of the products we've talked about are are really full of flavor but yeah that's that's how i would approach it and you know i think the only thing we feel bad about in this episode is that there's so much more to mexican rum that we didn't talk about i mean like we were saying there's sort of there's a lot of these more standard rums that i think are comparable to to other mass market rums Mm -hmm. throughout latin america like there's Mm -hmm. uh mocambo ron caribe ron 
Prohibido. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I had no idea this was from Mexico, but Deadhead Rum, you know, the rum that comes in that like ridiculous shrunken head bottle. I have seen it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. made in Mexico as well. So we're, we're going to, like I was saying, link to as many of these as possible on the episode page. And uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I hope people bear with us in terms of putting out an episode <laughs> that's that's a guide to Mexican rum that doesn't talk about all Mexican rum. But we're we're just trying to set the stage and the context for encouraging you to take your own uh step into mexican right. rum this is sort of Explore a guide the space yeah this Explore is a guide space, to like getting people. started in mexican rum <laughs> this is kind of how the two of us have really enjoyed exploring it more over the mm-hmm. past year or so and mm-hmm. so we wanted to give you that that taste of just our own experience with it but certainly other stuff out there we'll try to create a more comprehensive list for that on the website if right. there's stuff that we didn't talk about or that you yeah, don't see we need listed your there, mm-hmm. yeah, we need your help. So uh, so reach out, let us know. John, what's the, the best way for them to reach out to us? Email us. You can get us on email at host at rumcast.com. Uh, we're all over social media. You can leave us a comment or uh, anything on our social media accounts at the Rumcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and YouTube, of course. So we've been getting some comments on our YouTube videos, and that's very nice, considering that you're just listening there. You don't get to see our lovely faces <laughs> on YouTube. But hey, I mean, it's it's one way to pick us up and an easy way to find us. So you can definitely find us through there and quickly comment there. Also, if you want to support the show, you can find us patreon.com slash the rumcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the rumcast. We're doing bonus episodes now. We're doing online happy hours. You mm-hmm. get each episode uh, a couple days early as well. So uh, cooking up some more benefits for, for all our patrons. It's been great to, to get some support for the show. And yeah, if you want to join in on that, you can go to patreon.com slash the rumcast. We'd love to have you. But yeah, what we want to know is what are your Mexican rum experiences? Yeah. And, and what are the things that we left out uh, that we didn't get to talk about that you have a love for or that some uh, interesting thing about it that you want to talk about and tell us about so that we can include it on that list that Will was mentioning. So we're, we're trying our best to keep uh, pushing this information forward and, and make it more known in the rum enthusiast community. Yeah, as as Francisco said in our Paranubes episode, Mexican rum, it's a thing. So <laughs> that's what we're trying to, <laughs> trying to grow that interest in right now. And yeah, feel free to reach out to us on social media. Send us an email, host at rumcast.com. We'd love to hear your experiences with it. The, the ones that you think are overlooked or underrepresented, we'd love to hear about those. So uh, we look forward to hearing from you. And as always, thanks for listening. 